That's an old song that I grew up on. It's one that probably most of you are not familiar with. I've selected it to be the closing song to send you out at the commencement service because I believe that's what we're sending you out to do is to tell the world that you're a Christian. So tonight we're trying to teach you the song so that Sunday afternoon week you'll be able to sing the song. <clears throat> most of us or many of us who stand in this pulpit it's always with a sense of awe. It's different than uh, any pulpit that I have ever occupied because of who you are. The respect that I have for those of you who have heard the call of God and I see you different than I do any other group. You're men and women who have said yes to the Lord and so I'm in awe that you have been so faithful to God. And now tonight you come to this point where you're nearing the, the completion of your degree and uh, will be receiving that degree in just a few days or what could almost be considered a few hours. The song I'll Tell the World That I'm a Christian uh, is a bit of an evangelistic song and I believe that uh, that's what God has called us to do, is to not just live the life but to be evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I've used this story many times, but it's one that's very close to my heart, and so I'm going to mention it again. Jan and I, while we were pastoring in California, we had a chance to hear Francis Schaeffer, uh, one of the great uh, apologists for the church. And he was speaking in Anaheim at the Anaheim Auditorium. There were probably 10,000 people there, and we were among them. After he'd spoken, uh, he was just sort of sitting on a big uh, four or two by eight table with his knee or his legs just sort of shaking a little bit like that and or hanging off the table and and he was in a question and answer time. During that time, a young man stepped up to a microphone here near the front of the auditorium, this large auditorium, and he said, Dr. Schaefer, as a philosopher, and then he began to pose this question. And Dr. Schaefer jumped off that table and came to the very front of the, path, uh, the platform and he said, young man, I am not a philosopher. I am an evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God has called you to do, is to be an evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul first appears on the scene. Uh, in a way that we don't really know that he's there, but the ninth chapter tells us he was there. He appears on the scene as Stephen is being stoned, consenting to the stoning of Stephen. He probably was somewhere in the crowd when Christ was being crucified because he spoke of himself as one born out of due season later on. But uh, the first real account of the Apostle Paul appears in the ninth chapter. It says, now Paul, or Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's with a capital W, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as, his journey, as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? 
he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. I just want to pause here. When you persecute someone, you're not just persecuting that person, you're persecuting Jesus as well. So Jesus felt the persecution that was going on here. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise, enter the city, and it shall be told what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, if you have any questions about sanctification being a second work of grace, I believe that Paul was dramatically saved on the Damascus Road. And then we find that Ananias was sent to him in the very next verse and prayed that he would receive the Holy Spirit. And when he received the Holy Spirit, power came upon his life. And then in the next chapter, you find him in Jerusalem proclaiming the new message that God had given to him, the message of salvation. This was a dramatic conversion. Some conversions are more dramatic than other. But the thing is, a conversion is that we're walking this way, and when we come face to face with a master, we begin to walk this way. It is a change of direction. And so Paul makes a change of direction, a change in message, a change in actions. He found a way as he was changed to begin to, to build his ministry, and it was built upon what happened on the Damascus Road. God had changed his life. And through this message, this testimony that God gave him, he found a way to connect with people. And the connection was always through his testimony, what God had done for his own life. On Mars Hill, we find the philosophers and people worshiping all of these gods, and uh, they even had one to the unnamed, unknown God. And Paul met those philosophers, and first of all, he began to connect with them by, by reasoning with them. Don't be narrow in your ministry. Don't just focus your ministry on this group or that group. Realize that God has called you to serve everyone. I'm a poor boy from Arkansas, and uh, we didn't have much. But God has chosen to use my ministry in places where I've sat in the country clubs and various places that were ne would never have been a part of my life, but God put me there. And God put Saul here on Mars Hill in touch with the philosophers. And on Mars Hill, Paul connected with them. And part of the connection was that he had been persecuting the church, and on the Damascus Road, he met God, and God changed his life. He stood before Agrippa. In chapter 26, verses 1 through 3, I'm, I'm intrigued by the way this chapter begins, and I won't read it all. But it said, and Agrippa said to Paul, and you know, a lot of things that happened bringing Paul from Festus to Agrippa. And so as, as he came before Agrippa, Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. And he said, in regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you. Now, if you ever have to write a letter, you always say nice things about people before you say the tough thing. And so Paul is praising Agrippa first because he got other things to say later on. 
And so he says, I'm, I'm honored to be able to make my defense before you, King Agrippa. And especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions about the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. What does he do as he stands before Agrippa? He begins to tell him how that he was persecuting the Christians. He was going down the Damascus Road. A light hit him. A voice came from the air. And he, and he was sent in a new direction. And so he gives his dramatic testimony. When he's through with it all, Agrippa looks at him and he said, Almost, you persuade me to be a Christian. Powerful testimony. I believe in the importance of a testimony. I have Gary Haynes here tonight, one of our alumni. He graduated here about 30 years ago, I suppose. <laughs> I heard Gary a few weeks ago, Denver First Church. He just completed a recording uh, with Jerry Nelson and uh, the jazz band there from uh, Denver First Church. Wonderful recording. I, I, I'm enjoying it. One of the best I've heard in a long time uh, because he's matched up with Jerry Nelson. And, but uh, Gary, before he did that service that morning, the first thing, he connected with the people. Uh, he told his story. He was, he was bipping along in life and suddenly was hit with polio when he was seven years of age. Changed his whole life. Raised in the church, but he turned away from the church. He began to sing in the clubs and, and uh, drinking and living the life of, uh, of a club singer. And finally found himself so far away from God until he almost dragged through the door of the, of the church by himself without a congregation there, as I remember the story, and found God at an altar of prayer. God dramatically changed his life. 29 years of age. And he came here to Nazarene Bible College. Life had all been messed up, and God turned his life around. And as, as he tells this story, and I've heard it many times, it was not easy for him here at Nazarene Bible College. At one point he got down to where there was just practically nothing to eat. But God answered prayer, and God has seen him through. And so Gary began his message that, way, that day with his testimony, which connected. And then he sang a few songs, and then he preached a message of salvation, and he especially preached it because there were some people there close to him that he really wanted to hear the message of salvation. There's some other people I want to talk about, but the thing is that everything that Gary's done in that testimony is to think evangelism, lifetime of evangelist. To, to think of how he can tell people not just about his testimony, but how he can tell people about the Jesus who changed his life. And so I've asked Gary tonight to sing one of those songs that is on that new CD because I think that, uh, that he is a model of what I'm talking about, of telling the world about Jesus. Brother Gary, Dr. Gary. He fell the other day. And the thing is that, uh, that when you have polio, it begins to sort of retake its grip on you a little later on, and he's experienced something as well. But my, he just keeps going and going and going like the, like the ever-ready buddy. <laughs> well, I've learned getting old ain't for sissies. <laughs> I wasn't able to be at the trustee uh, luncheon. I was invited, but I had a revival in Nebraska. And I want to take just a minute here. I came out here. I knew Dr. Strickland, Dr. Oliver, Dr. Lambert, and now 
Dr. Mr. Sanders. And this place has been such a part of my life, I can't begin to tell you. I want to thank you publicly for all your love, support, encouragement, and prayers. You've been a real help to me down through the years. And I'm very, very grateful. And I'm glad I could be here tonight to tell you publicly, okay? And God's best to you. And then to the students, congratulations. Aren't you glad? Say yippee. Yeah. There you go. Amen. Thank you. Well, that's what it's all about, is to tell the story. Someone asked me what I'm going to do when I'm through here. I find myself often dreaming at night of putting a team together and a new church. And just knowing what it would take to, to grow a great church, and I know that I'd have to have some people to make it happen. And I think if I could have this one and that one and this one and that one, then I could really make it happen with the grace of God and, and, uh, and hard work and, and trying to build the kingdom of God by bringing people to Jesus. I was with Chick Schaefer a few days ago at the Illinois Pastors Retreat. He was professor at the seminary for many years. And I have a long history of knowing Chick Schaefer because when I was in college, he had been dramatically saved at Dartmouth. And God brought him to a faith that was totally life-changing for Chick. And uh, he has been sort of the specialist for evangelism. He has developed all the materials that go with evangelism. You get someone, you bring someone to the Lord, and then he's got the basic Bible studies and everything that you need to nurture someone in the faith. And as I listened to Chick uh, during that, uh, that time there together in Illinois, I heard him talking about the fact that uh, often when he goes out on his soul-winning training and evangelism trips, he will take several students with him, primarily so they can share their testimony. It's the testimony, men and women, your testimony, that will make the difference. In the early days here, Jan and I were members of a church that no longer exists, but it was called New Hope in the Rockies, and it was a compassion ministry church. And on Sunday morning, Jerry Kettner would walk the miracles in front of the church every Sunday. This one had been involved in alcoholism. And this story after that story. And we, 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 as we saw the miracles walk in front of the church, we began to believe that those miracles could happen that morning for someone else. It's the testimony, the story. But we can't do this unless we have a conversion experience ourselves, We've got to be sure. We've got to know that we have been born again. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear me tonight. We can know that we have been born again. We can know it. And the purpose of Paul's testimony, the purpose of your testimony, the purpose of Chick's testimony, the purpose of the testimonies that walked through the church every Sunday morning at New Hope in the Rockies was to prove that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's the purpose of the testimony. And Paul recognized that God had given him a special calling. It was not a popular calling. He had called him to be the messenger to the Gentiles. That's us. And God had called him to take the message to the Gentiles. It was not popular. 
because the Jews in Jerusalem thought they had it all wrapped up. And because God had given him the responsibility of taking the message to the Gentiles, this meant that he went everywhere. I mean, it, it maybe was not the whole world, but it was the world that he could get to. It was as much of the world as Paul could cover. And he took the message everywhere he could go. His missionary journeys included his own suffering and persecution. He had been a persecutor, and when Jesus saved him on the, on the Damascus Road, he told him that he would suffer for his sake. And so Paul experienced that kind of suffering, and he, he never backed away from it because God had dramatically changed his life. He accepted his suffering as suffering for Jesus, for Jesus' sake. Paul ministered among people. It wasn't that he was off in an ivory tower somewhere, but Paul went out and he touched people. He touched lives. He knew what was going on in their lives. So I, th I think that the only way you can successfully preach on Sunday morning is that you know what's happening in your congregation. And I don't think you know what's happening in your congregation unless you've walked among your congregation. Paul walked among people. Just read his epistles. As he, as he would write those epistles and he would name people. And he knew what was going on in those congregations. He, I mean, he did not live in the internet age, and yet he had an awareness of what was happening all over this new world that God had assigned him to. And so he was addressing those issues. And, and he addressed them very boldly. He addressed issues in, in the Corinthian church. I, I, one that's always sort of intrigued me was that... Uh, you know, the Apostle Peter had been dealt with about uh, the fact that the message was for the Gentiles as well, and God had let down a sheet in front of him and told him that the message for, was for everyone. And then in Galatians, and I love the book of Galatians. Galatians is a book of freedom. I mean, if you want to, if you want to read about freedom, but the, but the Jews were drifting back into their old legalism, and Paul wants to bring them out of the legalism back to the freedom that they have in Christ. And then in the second chapter, he addresses Peter. And he says, Peter, you've become prejudiced again. You, you, you began to think that the gospel is only for the Jews. But the gospel is for everyone. And so he wasn't afraid to address the tough issues when they had to be addressed. And sometimes you may have to do that as well. But if you know the hearts of your people, if you know their needs, and if you'll always take them to Jesus, dramatic things will happen. We're sending you forth as messengers for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sending you forth to be evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great fears that I have as a churchman who has been a district superintendent, pastor, college president, is that it's possible for someone to be a minister in the church today and never lead anyone to the Lord. Don't let that happen in your life. Find a way to bring people to Jesus. Find a way to share your testimony. But first of all, make sure you have a testimony. I believe in you. I believe that you're going to make a difference in this world. I heard you last night. I heard your testimonies. And I think God has touched your lives in a miraculous way. And now we want to pray for you before we send you out. And will you stand with us, graduates? And we'd like for you to gather around the altar so we can pray God's blessings upon your life. Some of you may not be able to kneel, but as many as you can, let's just kneel around the altar.
I want the faculty to come in behind me here and we want to pray for all of you. I've asked Dr. Stelting, our fine dean, to lead in prayer, and uh, we want to gather around, touch as many of you can, as we can, as we pray God's blessings and send you forth to serve. Oh, God. Oh, God. Father, over and over again, we are reminded that you are the God who offered to us the opportunity of prayer. As wonderful as meditation is, as wonderful as quiet and reverence and solitude is, you have called us to speak to you, to empty our hearts, to lay bare the, the deep desires and needs that we have. You have promised to hear us. You've promised that when you hear us, and when we pray in the name of Jesus and according to your will, you will do it. And so, Father, we come to you tonight praying for our brothers and sisters who kneel here at this altar. This is a special time of their life. There have been other special times, the times they remember when you have dealt with them in special ways. And that time when you laid a call on their heart that was so deep and powerful that they just had to come, they just had to be here, they had to say yes, they have to now, Father, follow that call to leave here. We pray, O oh Lord, that the call that brought them here would clarify exactly their task before you. It's a great commission task. Our president has preached so eloquently tonight reminded us of the testimony, the story that each of us has of, of how you have touched us personally and you've washed the sin away. You gave us new eternal life. You've given us power. You've given us wholeness and holiness. And so God, oh Father, as we pray here tonight, would you sharpen that story? And Father, he has reminded us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the fact that anybody, everyone who wishes to come to you and will allow your forgiveness to be at work and your grace to be powerful and the life-changing repentance to take hold, he's reminded us of that, Father. And I pray that you would lay on the heart of each person here tonight at the altar and in the congregation that you would lay on our hearts the fact that we have the gospel to tell to people around the world. A life-changing gospel, the, the gospel that changed our lives. It's good news. And make it good in our hearts and good in our mouths and good in our lives. Now, Father, as hands are touching and the faculty is here, they poured their hearts, their minds, their testimonies into these students. Now, Lord, multiply. Multiply what has been done here at Nazarene Bible College. Multiply in the lives of churches around the United States, around the world. 
and the grace that you have given for eternal life and forgiveness, would you take that same grace and pour it through them as channels so that many people will hear with such a clarity and such a compelling message that they too will have to say yes to Jesus, just to say yes. And now, Lord, together, we pledge ourselves again to you. What you have asked of us, we say again, yes. And the power that you have promised, we receive it again. Yes, yes, yes. And we thank you for all this in the precious, powerful, holy, cleansing name of Jesus who promised he would never leave us or forsake us. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. I challenge you to be an evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. I challenge you to tell the world that you're a Christian. I challenge you to not be ashamed, no matter where you are, that you belong to him. No Peters among you that would deny the Lord, but always a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Go forth and tell the world in his name. Amen.